Hey everyone, welcome to the fifth episode of the podcast. Today I'm going to talk to you about a topic that I haven't discussed before and that's grammar. Now the goal of this episode is to provide you with some background information and I'm going to then dive into some of the major problems that students are facing in the grammar section and then the last segment I'm going to offer some solutions to those problems. Now you all know that the grammar section is 35 minutes so it's relatively short, you have 44 questions to answer. Now, grammar can be broken down into two broad umbrella categories. The first category are basic grammar rules. Some examples are subject-verb agreement and verb tenses. Another example might be parallelism. Another one might be misplaced modifiers. Now, these are topics that generally students are familiar with, but they learned it a while back, most likely in you know elementary, middle school. So a lot of students just simply forgot. But I'll talk to you more about this uh, in the second segment when I talk to you about the problems that students are facing. The second broad category is organization and development. And some examples are, you know, what transition word would be best in to be put in this particular section of the sentence. Secondly, where would this sentence best fit in the paragraph? So there's two broad umbrella categories, general grammar rules, and the second category is organization and development. Now with that said, I wanna talk to you about some of the problems that students are oftentimes facing. Now, in terms of grammar rules, I would say that the number one question I oftentimes receive are commas and semicolons. And so I think that happens because when these concepts were learned, students were generally in elementary and middle school. And if you crack open up a grammar book, there are pages and pages of comma rules and semicolon rules. And it's quite confusing because they, you know, for example, students might remember the idea of pausing and commas, but that's not tested on the SAT. So what ends up happening is students can vaguely recall some of these rules, but it's all pretty much jumbled in their head. So it gets really, really confusing. And one of the, the second most commonly asked question are dashes and colons. Again, that was, these concepts were basically a footnote. Um, and so it wasn't really, it was covered, but it wasn't covered in depth. So it's a blur in a lot of people's heads. And so because it was covered only very simply, they just really can't recall um, what are the rules for dashes and colons and then how to apply them in the SAT. Um, specifically, a common question that I receive is, Dana, what if dashes and colons are both presented as options? What should I do? So this, I hope that kind of gives you a general idea about some of the frequently asked questions that students ask. I will talk about these in the third segment, but I just wanted to introduce them to you uh, first. The second problem that I see is sounding it out. So what that means is a lot of times students go into these tests and they don't want to really memorize some of these concepts or maybe they haven't fully memorized them. So what they end up doing is resorting to sounding it out. What sounds good? They may get lucky and answer a few questions, but there's definitely, you can't do well on the SAT grammar section just by sounding it out, I promise you. They will inevitably get a string of questions wrong because there's no way that you can get an answer right 
most of the time just by sounding it out. Let me give you an example. If I read you this sentence, can you tell what sounds, can you answer this question just by sounding it out? So here's the question. Yet some of the earliest known works of art, including paintings and drawings, tens of thousands of years old, found on cave walls in Spain and France, portrays with an S, or does it portray animals? Let me read that sentence again. Yet some of the earliest known works of art, including paintings and drawings, tens of thousands of years old, found on cave walls in Spain and France, portrays animals or portray animals? Just by hearing it out, you can't really tell. They both sound pretty good. So you got to know the rules. How do you find the correct subject? If you can find the correct subject, you can find the correct verb. So that is an issue that I'm seeing, sounding it out. And you really cannot get a good score in the grammar section just by doing that. The third issue that I oftentimes see students doing is taking a subjective approach when it comes to the organization and development problems. Now, earlier I mentioned that there are two umbrella categories. The first one was grammar rules, and the second second one was organization and development. Now, when it comes to this, a lot of students will say, well, if I were the writer of this paragraph or this short essay, I would put this sentence here because... It just seems like it would fit. But if you take that subjective approach, you might get it wrong. Why? This is an objective test. There's only one answer. So there's no room for subjectivity. There is a logical way to approach these problems, though. And students need to know how to logically approach it in a very objective way. Because that's how you get to accurate answers. Because if you were to take a subjective point of view, you would have various answers. One student might feel that this sentence should be placed here, while another student might feel that they it should be placed there. So there's got to be a logical, objective way to approach to approach these types of questions. Let's talk about some of the solutions. The first solution is knowing what is tested on the SAT grammar section. There's only actually a select number of topics, 14 to be exact, and some miscellaneous problems. And usually what I do with the miscellaneous problems is I basically cover it for the la- in the last section of my workbook. And it's just basically six different problems that show up and you can't really fit them into broad categories. So I put them under miscellaneous. So I always remind students, look, for grammar rules, there's only 14 that you really, really need to know. So those are your parameters. Just stick with those 14. Some students end up creating their own grammar problems because they're not quite sure what is exactly tested. They may know, okay, I know that subject verb agreement is tested and they may have seen commas and colons and semicolons and redundancy. So they'll get a they'll have some awareness of some of the problems, but they'll sometimes, because they haven't fully understood that there's only 14 select topics that are tested, they'll end up just kind of saying, well, I thought this answer was right because I thought, you know, there's this rule back then. Well, and I would tell them, you know, that's not even tested on the SAT. So just know that these are your parameters, these 14 plus the miscellaneous, and that's all you need to know. So when it comes to develop and organization problems, there's only five topics. So those five topics are basically logical placement. And basically they'll say, 
logically, where would sentence five best fit in this essay? Or should this question, where should this sentence be added? Or should it, should it be added? Should it be deleted? Number three, what sentence effectively sets up the information that follows? Number four, what is the best way to combine these sentences? And number five, what's the best transition to use in this particular sentence? So if you know what the parameters are, that's one piece of the puzzle. Now, the other piece is knowing and memorizing the grammar concepts. But that's not enough. That's half the battle. The other half is recognizing the topic that the problem is testing you on. What do I mean by that? What I'm saying is if you look at the answer choices, imagine problem number 16. If you look at the if you look at A, B, C, and D and not and you don't look at the sentence at all, let's say you see some choices like portrays with an S and portray without an S. And then you know you see has portrayed for C, and then you have is portraying. Because you see the word, you see a verb with an S and one without an S, you know that they're possibly testing you on subject-verb agreement. So what I'm trying to say is that students need to know, just by looking at the answer choices, which of the 14 topics are they testing me on? For example, here's another example. If you see a participle phrase, what is a participle phrase? Long story short, it's a verb. It has to end in an S or an ING. In the SAT, what they'll end up doing is they'll put a participle phrase and then stick a comma at the end of that participle phrase. They do it every single time. So that is another pattern. If you see a participle phrase, and you know what? It may not be underlined. It's probably not going to be underlined, honestly. But if you see that, you know that the SAT is testing you on misplaced modifiers. More, let me give you an, one final example. If you see two words that sound pretty much the same, pretty like let's say letter A, option A is well-known and famous. Option B, let's say it's just famous. You get my point. Well-known and famous, they're pretty synonymous. So you know when they do that, they are testing you on redundancy. So students need to get to that point where they can predict, they can quickly see what they're testing, what the test makers are testing them on. And it's not that hard to do. Once you get into drills and once you really see a lot, you take a lot of practice tests, you'll start to see those patterns. Now, I touched on this earlier, but I think one way to learn grammar is a very organized, in a very organized manner. So I think drills is really, really important because if you throw, you know, five different concepts in a very random way to students, they, it, they may not be able to recall it several weeks later. But if you say, you know what, we're going to spend this first hour talking about, you know, subject verb agreement. And here are all the different ways that the problem is presented. Students will start to see the patterns because standardized tests are basically patterns. And so once they start to see that, they'll, they'll start to see when they, take when they take the practice test or the real test, like, hey, I've seen this before. So that's pretty much how you crack the SAT grammar section. Um, two minor points, although I shouldn't say minor because they're really, really important. I find that a lot of students read 
really really quickly they go really fast in the grammar section and you know they, they you know a lot of these students they're very comfortable with these grammar concepts and so they're like you know what i just want to go really really fast but what ends up happening is that they miss important details and then it leads to wrong answers so i always tell students don't skip any sentences even though you think it they're irrelevant if you're not having timing issues you might as well just take your time and just be careful so if sometimes you have to just let students just let them do it you can warn them all you want but they're they're still gonna do it so but once they see that oh gosh I'm going really fast and that's leading to mistakes, they'll know that, okay, I really need to slow down, okay? Another thing is um, eyeballing. You know, a lot of students tell me, look, I, for certain types of questions, I just look one line above and maybe one line below. I find that that's, that's a common response that I oftentimes receive. But again, you might be able to get some of the questions right, but you won't get all of them right if you do that. So eyeballing is an another issue that I've seen. So make sure you don't just, don't just always just read one line up or one line below, even though it might lead to right answers sometimes, but it won't always lead to right answers. So I hope that I've given you some really important information, helpful information about the SAT grammar section. If you have any follow-up questions to what I discussed, please feel free to email me. My email is Diana at mymprep.com. You could also find that email address on the website. So I will see you in episode six.